Good morning, and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. In 45, before the Common Era, New Year's Day is celebrated on January 1st for the first time in history as the Julian calendar takes effect. Soon after becoming Roman dictator, Julius Caesar decided that the traditional Roman calendar was in dire need of reform. Introduced around the 7th century before the Common Era, the Roman calendar attempted to follow the lunar cycle, but frequently fell out of phase with the seasons and had to be corrected. In addition, the pontifices, the Roman body charged with overseeing the calendar, often abused its authority by adding days to extend political terms or interfering with elections. In designing his new calendar, Caesar enlisted the age of Sogenius, an Alexandrian astronomer, who advised him to do away with the lunar cycle entirely and follow the solar calendar, as the Egyptians did. The year was calculated to be 365 and a fourth days, and Caesar added 67 days to 45 BC, making it 46 BCE, beginning on January 1st rather than in the traditional manner in March. He also decreed that every four years a day be added to February, thus theoretically keeping his calendar from falling out of step. Shortly before his assassination, 44 BCE, he changed the name of the month Quintilius to Julius, July, after himself. Later, the month of Sextilius was renamed August, August after his successor. Now, why am I speaking about New Year's Day and New Year's Eve? Because this morning, if you're listening... uh, live, you know that it is New Year's. My little introduction is intended to remind you that while Julius Caesar changed from the solar to the lunar calendar, the Hebrew calendar is a mixture of the solar and lunar. And New Year's have always interested me. The Julian calendar begins its New Year's on January 1st. That's what you and I celebrate, I on a secular basis, perhaps all of us on a secular basis. But the history of New Year and its religious implications fascinate me. And I want to speak to you this morning and chat with you a bit about the varieties of religious implications and how they affect the Christian and Jewish world. You know, the celebration of New Year's in January fell out of practice during the Middle Ages. And even those who strictly adhered to the Julian calendar did not observe the New Year exactly on January 1st. The reason for the latter was that Caesar and Soginius, his astronomer, failed to calculate the correct value for the solar year as you're ready. 365.242.11 days, and not 365.25 days. Thus, an 11-minute era added 7 days by the year of 1000 of the Common Era, and 10 days by the mid-15th century. 
the Roman Catholic Church became aware of this problem. And in the 15th century, 16th century, 1572, Pope Gregory XII commissioned Jesuit astronomer Christopher Clavius to come up with a new calendar. And Clavius did in 1582, the Gregorian calendar was implemented, omitting 10 days for that year and establishing the new rule that only one of every four centennial years should be a leap year. Since then, people around the world have gathered in mass on January 1st to celebrate the precise arrival of the new year. But of course, not every tradition celebrates January 1st as the new year. Hijri New Year in the Islamic culture is also known as Islamic New Year. Ras Asana el-Hiraya is the day that marks the beginning of the new Islamic calendar year. New Year moves from year to year because the Islamic calendar is a lunar calendar. The first day of the year is observed on the first day of Muharram, the first month in the Islamic calendar, fairly similar to the Jewish notion of a solar lunar calendar in which the first month is consistent, but the first month is really takes place in the spring. Nowruz marks the first day of spring and the beginning of the year in the Iranian calendar. It is celebrated on the day of the astronomical, astronomical vernal equinox, which usually occurs on March 21st or the previous following day, depending on where it is observed. Nowruz has been celebrated for over 3,000 years by the related cultural continent. The holiday is also celebrated and observed by many parts of Central Asia, South Asia, Northwestern China, Crimea, and some groups in the Balkans, as well as being a Zoroastrian holiday and having significance among the Zoroastrian ancestors of modern Iranians. The same time is celebrated in the Indian subcontinent as the New Year. The moment the sun crosses the celestial equator, Equator, and equalizes night and day is calculated exactly every year, and Iranian families often gather together to observe the rituals. And of course, as my listeners, um, regular listeners know, Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, is celebrated by Jews and in Israel and throughout the world. The date is not set according to the Gregorian calendar, but it falls always during September and or October. The holiday is celebrated by religious services and special meals. And it is determined on the first day of the seventh month of the Hebrew calendar, Tishrei, which moves according to the Hebrew calendar, which is not a solar calendar, not a lunar calendar, but a mixture of the two. The night of December 31st and the day of January 1st, the new year, according to the Gregorian calendar, is celebrated in Israel and is referred to as Sylvester, as the civil new year. Now, I want to add to our chat this morning an interesting perception, which some of you may be aware of. January 1st is how many days 
after December 25th. If you count December 21st as the 5th as the first day, add them up. You can use your fingers. December 25th, 26th, 27th, 28th, 29th, December 30th, 31st, January 1st. Eight days. In Jewish tradition, male children are circumcised on the eighth day following their birth. And the counting is done from the day they were born. Therefore, the eighth day, January 1st, would be the date of the circumcision of Jesus, who we all acknowledge was born of Jewish parents and at that point in the life of the historical Jesus, would have been an observant Jew. Some of you are aware that there is something known as the Feast of the Circumcision of Christ, and it is a Christian celebration of the circumcision of Jesus in accordance with Jewish tradition. Eight days after his birth, the occasion on which the child was formally given his name. The circumcision would not have taken place in the temple, though painters sometimes represented as having done so, but in the home. The circumcision of Jesus has traditionally been seen as explained in the popular 14th century work, The Golden Legend, as the first time the blood of Christ was shed, and thus beginning of the process of the redemption of humanity, and a demonstration that Jesus the Christ was fully human, and of his obedience in biblical law, and his obedience to biblical law. Now, I am fascinated that the circumcision of Jesus took place on the eighth day, and that the new year takes place on the day of the circumcision. And it is perhaps a coincidence, but as any good reader of mystery novels knows, there is no coincidences when you're seeking out the mystery of a murder or why January 1st was intended to be the new year. The Feast of the Circumcision of Christ appears on January 1st in the liturgical calendar of the Eastern Orthodox Church. In the general Roman calendar, the January 1st feast, which from 1568 to 1960 was called the Circumcision of the Lord in the Octave of the Nativity and is now named the Solemnity of the Mar- of Mary, the Holy Mother of God, in the Octave Day of the Nativity of the Lord. It is celebrated by some churches of the Anglican community and virtually all Lutheran churches. In these latter Western Christian denominations, the Feast of Naming and the Circumcision of Jesus marks the eighth day, the octave day of the Christmas tide. To understand why I think there is a connection 
between January 1st as a day of circumcision and January 1st as the new year, I want to spend a few minutes talking about the history of male circumcision. And then, of course, it's important in Jewish tradition. The oldest documentary evidence of male circumcision comes from ancient Egypt. Circumcision was common, although not universal, among ancient Semitic peoples. In the aftermath of the conquest of Alexander the Great, however, the Greek dislike of circumcision, they regarded a man as truly naked only if his uh, prepus was retracted, led to the decline in its incidence among people that had previously practiced it. Circumcision has ancient roots among several ethnic groups in sub-equatorial Africa and is still performed on adolescent boys to symbolize their transition to warrior status or adulthood. The origin of male circumcision is not known with certainty. It has been variously proposed that it began as a religious sacrifice as a rite of passage marking a boy's interest into adulthood, as a form of sympathetic magic to ensure virility or fertility, as a means of reducing sexual pleasure, as an aid to hygiene where regular bathing was impractical, or as a means of marking those of higher social status, or as a means of humiliating enemies and slaves by symbolic castration. I could go on as a means of differentiating a circumcising group from their non-circumcising neighbors, as a means of discouraging masturbation or other socially prohibited sexual behaviors, as a means of removing excess pleasure. We could go on and on about the reasons why some suggest circumcision was instituted. But... According to Jewish scholars, the removal of the foreskin symbolically represents such a sealing of the covenant. Moses might not have been circumcised, one of his sons was not, nor were some of his followers while traveling through the desert. But Moses' wife Zipporah circumcised their son. When God, in Exodus 4, when God threatened to kill Moses if it had not been done. You know, during the Hellenistic time, some Jews tried to hide their circumcision, we are told, in the book of Maccabees. This was mainly for social and economic benefits, also so that they could exercise in gymnasiums and compete in sporting events. The first century author Philo defend Jewish circumcision on several grounds, including health, cleansiness, and fertility. He also thought that circumcision should be done as early as possible, as it would be least likely to be done by someone of their own free will. He noted that circumcision should be performed as an effective means to reduce sexual pleasure. The legislators thought good to dock the... um, So, in Pharisaic Judaism, 
there was a difference between Hillel the elder and Shammai on the issue of circumcision of proselytes. The Jewish philosopher Maimonides, 11th and 12th century, 12th and 13th century, insisted that faith should be the only reason for circumcision. He recognized that it was a very hard thing to have done to oneself, but that it was done to quell all the impulses of matter. The 13th century French disciple of Maimonides, Isaac ben Yehuda, claimed that circumcision was an effective way to deal with sexual desire. Flavius Josephus, in Jewish Antiquities book written in the second century at the time of Jesus, records the story of King Isaitis, who, having been persuaded by a Jewish merchant named Ananias to embrace a Jewish religion, decided to get circumcised so as to follow Jewish law. All of this is, of course, to suggest that Judaism has been committed to circumcision from its oldest biblical roots through the Middle Ages, and it has been a mark, a physical mark, of the covenant. And in early Christianity, there was, as many of you know, a debate about whether circumcision needed to be continued. Um, the Council of Jerusalem and Acts of the Apostles 15 addressed the issue of whether circumcision was required of new converts to Christianity. Both Simon and Peter and James that just spoke against requiring circumcision in Gentile converts, and the council ruled that circumcision was not necessary. However, Acts 16 and many references in the letters of Paul show that the practice was not immediately eliminated. Paul of Tarsus, who is said to be directly responsible for one man's circumcision in Acts 16.1.3, and who appeared to appraise Jewish circumcision in Romans 3.2, said that circumcision didn't matter, quoting in 1 Corinthians 7 and then increasingly turned against the practice, accused those who promoted circumcision of wanting to make a good showing in the flesh and boasting of glory in the flesh um, in the Galatians. Now, all of this, and I could continue with the history of the Christian ambivalence toward uh, circumcision, um, leads me to think that the eighth day and the power of the circumcision is not a uh, coincidence with the new year. You know, Leviticus says on the eighth day, a boy is to be circumcised. Genesis says, any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken the covenant. During the first century, there was a controversy in Jerusalem, in Judaism, related to not whether or not a proselyte who was already circumcised needed to be ritually recircumcised. This was done via pinprick, creating a drop of blood and is still practiced to this day. Circumcision was a powerful mode of identifying those who were Jewish and those who were not. 
The circumcision of Jesus was, according to Luke, accomplished on the eighth day. But as Christianity began its uh, journey to separate itself from Judaism, one of the main issues was to separate itself with regard to Jewish law. Think of that. The early um, Christians, who were in a sense, of course, Jewish Christians, would have um, known and practiced Jewish law with great intentionality. Many of them would have already known of the calendar established by Julius Caesar, but remember, when did Julius Caesar establish the New Year's? 45 BCE, 45 years before zero. Times during the first century in ancient Judea, later to be called Palestina, were very conflictual. Tensions were rampant between Jews and Romans, between Jewish Christians and Romans, later between Christians and Jews, and eventually the Roman Empire became the Holy Christian Roman Empire. All of that leads me to want to suggest that the mark of circumcision, which played such an important part in Jewish covenantal life, and which was uh, part of the ongoing debate with um, early Christianity about how much Christianity should maintain its adherence to Jewish law, has an overflow onto January 1st. Is January 1st the moment in which Jesus confirms the covenant with God as a Jew? Or is it the moment when a new year begins and in fact there is a new beginning and the child begins the journey from Jesus to Christ? I am fascinated by that thought. And I think it relates to how we understand the power of lore, L-O-R-E, and the power of law, L-A-W. You know, Jewish law made circumcision a powerful part of the expression of covenantal relationship. But lore, L-O-R-E, in early Christianity was the antithesis of law, L-A-W. It isn't until much later with the Nicene councils and the establishment of Christianity as the Holy Roman religion that we have the transition from lore to law within Christianity. You know, the Council of Jerusalem um, was about 50 A.D., and they were called upon to uh, consider the application of Mosaic law to the new community. And there was great, uh, how shall we say, tension 
you will remember that I noted before that the apostolic decree which emerges from that council only applied Mosaic law to converts because it was clear that those who had been born Jewish and now were adopting Christianity had already been part of the covenant, and therefore they did not have to take away um, from their circumcision. But um, there was, of course, um, some notion of the early Christians that circumcision was a connection to the Noahide laws, and that early Christians did not want to reject the Noahide laws. So, the decree is one of the first acts of differentiating the church from its Jewish roots. Through a similar dispute was taking place at the same time within Judaism, which came to a contrary conclusion. Christianity, therefore, wanted to make sure that it separated itself from Judaism, and by associating the circumcision of Jesus with the new year, they could affirm their connection to not only a theological distinction between themselves and Jews, but an affirmation of a very different calendar, the Roman calendar. By affirming the Roman Gregorian calendar or the Julian calendar, they were able in a, a, a real manner to ensure that early Christianity and Judaism went their separate paths. Today, of course, many liberal Christians do not celebrate a feast of the circumcision. They celebrate New Year's. But way back when, when we all began our journey to covenant, Jews to their covenant and Christians to their covenant, circumcision was a means of distinction and then further distinction. And the association with the feast of the circumcision of Jesus with the new year was a final means by which Christianity could differentiate itself from Judaism. It could say we believe in the coming of the Messiah, where Jews were waiting for the Messiah. It could say that we believe in the secular calendar, but really the secular calendar was in opposition to the Jewish calendar. And we could place the major milestones of Jesus's life within the secular calendar. Today, most of us will not think of January 1st as a religious holiday. Today, most of us will think of it as they do in Israel as Sylvester, the welcoming of a new year with all its hopes and anticipations of peace. But way back when, New Year's had much more powerful meaning, and I hope I've suggested a couple of ways in which the Feast of the Circumcision of the Christ and the new year and its separation from its origins of the Jewish people might be thought of in an interesting manner. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, this is Rabbi Stephen Garten wishing you Happy New Year, Shalom, and have a good day. Islam.